for us to recognize that worship has had a long lineage. God's people have always had a song. God's people have always had a tune. God's people have always had a yearning to express the inner heart. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and my guest today is musician and longtime friend of Renovare, George Scramstead. I've always thought of worship music in terms of hymns and, well, not hymns. Apparently, I've been quite naive. Back in 2005 at Renovare International Conference in Denver, George recorded a live version of a six-part series he wrote on the history of worship. He starts with ancient Israel and goes all the way to the modern era. Now, George has graciously allowed us to post this recording on our website, and you can find a link in the podcast show notes. Through the years, I found it stunning to watch George behind a piano and leading a group in worship. There's this sheer delight in his every movements. It's just something he was clearly made to do. And I think you'll find some of that goodness comes through in his recording. I talked with George over a video call from Central Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. George, you carry a unique distinction. You've probably been to more Renovare conferences than anyone besides Richard, correct? It may be that. At last count, it was just over 100. Wow. Conferences. Wow. And the very first conference was held here at Central Community Church in Wichita and uh, was a part of that uh, in 88, I believe it was. What was that like for you doing those events through the years? Well, number one, it, it was a privilege and it was an honor to even be asked to be a part. Um, that in itself uh, made a great impact on me. But more than that, it it offered me some instruction, some learning, some relationships that to this day have changed my life um, and my own perception of uh, spirituality, uh, how it impacts my life, uh, my responsibility, as well as God's grace. I had not understood grace uh, growing up. It was very punitive. And just so many things. And, and then the relationships with the leadership, uh, uh, they are lasting. And I could go on and on about that, but that's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> but anyway, it, it was great. It was a great impact on my life. Good. Well, I, you played a very important role in those early days at those events. I was wondering, why music? How did you get into music professionally? It started at a very early age. Uh, I was picking out music on the piano that I would hear from the radio when I was four. And so uh, I would be on the piano, and my parents recognized the melodies and all of that. And I don't really remember that. Wait, uh, at four, you would play songs on the radio? Yeah. 
on, on, on the key, piano. piano. Wow. And I was, I was picking out the melodies. So uh, <laughs> those were, those were interesting times. So at four, uh, my parents started me on piano lessons. Um, and then one of the craziest things was uh, I was six or seven and the piano player didn't show up for church that Sunday night in Moscow, Idaho. So um, we had this old piano up there, and they sang everything without any instrument. But come the offertory, they thought, well, George should play the offertory. So, of course, I got up, and um, I played a song from the radio called Buttons and Bows. <laughs> and everybody was in hysterics. And I, I started crying because I thought they were laughing at me. Uh, they were not laughing at me, they were laughing at the song, but at that moment, it was not taken that way. And uh, so that was the first time that I learned that there were certain songs that you played in church, and there were certain songs you did not. And so it was sacred, secular, and all of that. So anyway, though, that was my early experience. I'm surprised you were able to get back uh, on a stage again after yeah. <laughs> that. Yeah, it was, it was it was a little traumatic at the moment, but <laughs> I, it was my parents explained George there that this was this was fine. You you played very well, so <laughs> uh, but it, it worked. And then from then on, uh, I began took up the violin when I was in the uh, fifth grade. And majored in violin in college, did a music ed degree, uh, and then uh, took piano as well as other instruments, and then went to teach school in the Philadelphia Public Schools. And in that day and age, uh, because I'm older, uh, there were no ministers of music. Uh, people, everything was volunteer within the church, and there were no professional musicians within the church world. And uh, so I was teaching school when uh, the first church asked me to come and be their minister of music. And from there, it's history. What do you like about music? It gives me an inner life. It has a life of its own, a life of expression, a life of tonalities, a life that gives me an, a greater understanding of God and the the orchestration, everything from an orchestra to uh, the sonorities of a particular instrument and the ability to express a, a song or a tune or a uh, the essence of our living that I can't by just speaking. If I was an orator, I would find that expression. If I was a writer, I would find that expression. And so as a musician, you find your expression through your instrument or through your voice. And it is a gift that you give back to God. And hopefully if people can live through that or they see a bit of God through that, that's the reason and the purpose. That's why an orchestra, a choir, an ensemble, um, whatever we have, it's a gift giving back to God, our inner life. A language to communicate. Exactly. A language. That's, that's a great word. When you're leading worship, 
what do you hope is happening or how do you hope people are receiving what's taking place? The hope and the prayer is, is uh, well, I use the Kierkegaard model where uh, basically uh, we are the prompters, the leadership in worship. I become a prompter. And the people uh, become the stage. They become the those individuals who are worshiping. They become the actors on the stage, so to speak. And those of us who are leading the, the band or the orchestra or the single person, whatever, we are prompters, prompting people to help them uh, to do their thing, to put out their voice, their singing, their worship to God, and then God becomes the audience. We're part of it. We're participating in something larger. Right. And unfortunately, uh, we have built a culture many times where the worshipers are the audience. Worship leaders become the performers. And God, you know, I guess we think he's the prompter hmm. um, or he's he's giving to all of us the ability. But that's a little... Um, it's a little far to stretch in that direction. When you're leading worship as opposed to other contexts where you're playing music, you're not performing? Is that the way you would yes. phrase it? Right. I cannot. There are elements in order for me to do what I have to do. I have to have a skill that allows me to break free of performance. And I have to know what I'm doing well enough that I don't have to work at it, but that it is it is a natural outpouring of what I have. So that means I have to know my ability. I have to be able to know what I can and what I cannot do. There's some things that, you know, there's some Chopin I cannot play. And, and, and I'm sure that there is some worship that I cannot do because my abilities are not there. Um, I don't have the strongest voice. I, I try to sing along, but I always let the soloists take it, you know, the people who are, have the God-given voice, because I would not want to water down what God might have for somebody, uh, because I think I can do something that I can't. And so it's getting out of the way so that I become smaller, so that God may become greater. Why is the word worship synonymous with music? It shouldn't be. But it is. <laughs> it shouldn't. Worship is anything that we do out of a love for the Father who created us. The sermon is worship. Saying the liturgy is worship. A prayer is worship. It is all part of the act of giving ourselves. It's the work of the people, worship, the, the work of the people. Uh, and it's what we do to make our Creator uh, known, to to show Him our love. And so the pastor works on his sermon all week. That's his worship. He brings that to the congregation. That message is his act of worship. Um, anyone who does anything within the service, the ushers, the greeters, and then the people who come in, that's their act of worship and the giving of their gifts or their tithes. 
um, that's all worship. But we always say, well, this is the worship team. Well, <laughs> why are are they the only worship team? The whole congregation is a worship team, and and so it's it's a it's an interesting concept, um, and it's the community action. The, the entire community that is gathered, that is the worship. You've created a masterpiece that we get to talk about today, and I'm very curious to know how this came to be. It just happened. Your father, Richard Foster, and myself, we were doing a combined teaching of a course at Fuller Seminary, and it was a summer course on worship. And so we had, I think, probably about 20 students who were there, and we went through uh, what worship, uh, it was just a class on worship, yeah, the elements of worship and uh, what worship was. And I was asked to tag along. So I remember one class, your dad said, George, why don't you just go to the piano? Because I used the piano and we used some music within uh, that class. He said, why don't you just give us a history of worship? And um so all of a sudden, my brain is attacked, so to speak, and I have to go back and think through what I think worship might have been in the very beginning of time uh, with the Hebrew people going through that long line, that trajectory of what music was in those early days and what worship was. It says that, you know, People would be on one mountain, and one would be on the other mountain, the other part of the people, and they would shout back and forth the praises of God. Early, uh, early liturgy, and um, things became more written down as time went forward. Uh, of course, then the Christian church carried on the Hebrew tradition in many ways, and the Passover became the Paschal meal. And, and what we know as, as Holy Communion. And it, it just grew from there. And so uh, Gregorian chant and the development of notation for music, even into the medieval times where many of the artists were banned because they were, they were thought of uh, as rather emotional, they were too emotional for the church, or they were always wanting to do bizarre things. The creative people, you know, many times were thrown out of churches. And, and there was a time there where most even music was thrown out of the church. Anyway, went through all that and then into the Reformation movement and uh, the Romantic period uh, of music and worship and all of that into the modern day time and what we have done. Uh, and it was a very brief uh, presentation, but anyway, I sat at the keys and, and did this, <laughs> and that's how it all began. So it was spontaneous. Spontaneous. Yeah, yeah. And then later you developed it into the recording we have, what, an hour and 20 right, minutes? Yeah. Right. Genesis, we find mention of the first musician. His name is Jubal. What do you think is helpful for folks to catch this big picture of worship through the ages? I suppose we always live within our 
current culture right now it's a very postmodern it's a very artist driven culture because of media and i think back to the days when worship was not as complex as it is now now many of our stages you know we've got the lights we've got the mist we've got the sound <laughs> uh, we've got all of the electrically bound instruments we've become to a point where that if we don't have an instrument playing we can get a track and load that in so that it doesn't even have to be played it's just right there we can take very imperfect players and they sound perfect uh, we can tune the voices so that everything sounds. We don't have, I would say, authentic, many times in our worship today, what would be the authentic gift of its people, but it is manufactured. So that that is a great difference. But what I would say for today is to, for us to recognize that worship has had a long lineage. God's people have always had a song. God's people have always had a tune. God's people have always had a yearning to express the inner heart. And it was C.S. Lewis who really did not care for music so much in church. I mean, he maybe wrote about it once or twice in all of his writings. And one thing he, he did say, the accomplished musician must appreciate the simple musician. And the simple musician must appreciate the more accomplished musician. And that our appreciation for worship should go beyond preference. We have a difficult time with that, I think, in today's culture. Do you have a favorite era in worship music? I guess I always say that wherever God was moving, that's where I'd want to be. <laughs> and if God was moving in an Eastern Orthodox church or in a Roman Catholic Church, um, if God was moving as he did through the Reformation with Luther and, and some of those who followed, uh, or the church here in America, there were, you know, the Azusa awakening and, and all of these various things, the, 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 the streams that, that, that followed, that's where I'd like to be and, and would always want to be. But then I say God places us with certain congregations and for various times, and that's where God is working too. So uh, I need to plant, I need to be where God plants me to be that individual who uh, can support worship and, and become small so that God can do his thing. God being present supersedes style. That's that authenticity. It's all of that. Yeah, God's presence and the work of the Spirit within that. And there, there is such a, uh, you know, I remember Francois Fenelon saying, the wind of God is always blowing. We just have to hoist our sail. And I think worship is a bit like that. We have to hoist our sail so that the wind can blow through us and in us and that we attach ourselves in worship. And there's preparation before worship that has to happen. We just can't go in, walk into worship without a purpose, without a focus, and without an intentionality. And unfortunately, 
it's funny. People go to football games. They go to concerts. They go full of expectation. <laughs> but how many walk into worship with expectation? Um, yeah. And that's either because we have not trained or we don't see it as something of importance or that those who are leading don't lead with that in mind and don't make it seem important or the work of the people is lesser than uh, that doesn't bring that excitement. The, the people desiring to be there, to be part of the body expressing itself for the Father. Something more than just a filler. Exactly. Um, coming in yeah. late. And, yeah. yeah. One of the things I found interesting in listening to your work is how there were these um, I don't know if conflict would be the right word, but, you know, uh, do we use minor keys, ma major mm -hmm. instruments, not instruments? And it, it got me thinking that these divisions about, uh, you know, what type of music and such as this has been there for quite some time. I'm curious if you have uh, a, a, a helpful word for those who are, you know, struggling uh, with stylistic choices of different churches and choosing churches based on, the, you know, the, the way in which they do the, the music. You know, taking a music appreciation class, we had to listen to all different styles of, of music. Um, uh, everything from uh, the early, earliest, the Renaissance music. Uh, we listened to some of that uh, going through uh, the Baroque period into the Romantic or the classic and then the Romantic and then the modern music, so-called, and that now has different streams flowing through it. So we learned to a lot of we learned a lot of different music and some attracted me more than others. I have to be honest. I mean, I'm drawn to certain music more than others. I think every person does. You take a child and you say, okay, what instrument would you like to play? So they listen or they may try to play different instruments. And usually a child will tell you, well, I like this. I want to play this instrument. There is a, an ability. I am a melody person. I love melody. If songs don't have melody that speak to me a little bit, I find myself a little more disinterested, but you give it a melody. Uh, Ave Maria, for instance, I remember as a child playing Ave Maria and I'd play it at, on the piano and I would cry because the melody reached into my spirit, it did something that, that I could not, I couldn't get rid of. And to this day, I find myself being drawn, just sitting at the keys, playing it, going back and, and going through that melody. So violin, yeah, that's a melody instrument. There are other children, you give them a drum, that's where they want to be. They want to be in there, they want to be. Uh, that somehow ignites their spirit. And um, so I think we have to recognize that we are all different. We all have different likes. Uh, some people, you know, don't like certain kinds of music some people cannot stand opera the you know the voices and all of that and yet those same voices do uh uh do the, the hallelujah chorus 
and the Messiah. You know, the same voices do that. It's just what they're singing may be different. Uh, so it's beginning to learn that we don't live uh, in a world where everybody has to sing the same song. But I do think we have to appreciate and we have to respect the differences in our worship cultures and begin to say, hey, there is something here for me. I may not understand it at the moment, but that our worship become, and people may need to make choices, difficult choices. And I know that there are people today, even that I know personally, uh, who are making choices for where they're to worship. And it's difficult. Some have worshiped in places for 30, 40 years. And they're saying, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I can worship here that because the worship style has so changed. And I say, are you sure? Because you have 30, 40 years of relationship with the people that you've worshipped with. How do you give that up? Can you give it up? Do you, are you supposed to give it up? Uh, are there other ways you can do this? And of course, you can always go to recordings and, and television gives us many options, or the media today gives us many options. We can find any of our, the worship that we like anywhere. And a lot of people are choosing that mode of worship. Uh, and yet I am caught, Nathan, with the idea that I am to sit with my brother and my sister, sometimes in the same pew or in the same row or whatever. And until I have that kind of a relationship with my brothers and my sisters, that I can go to church with them or I can be in a small group or whatever, and I can maybe not always appreciate the music, but I can appreciate the fellowship. And that and the word and the preaching and the hearing the word, the prayers of the people, all of those things should be ministering to me as well as the song or the worship. And we may have to make some sacrifices here and there because cultures change. And I venture to say that before I die, I will see another shift in, in worship. Maybe something's more important than the style or the uh, music of what particular culture that uh, right. we're, we're involved in something larger. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to understand unless we have an idea of where we've come from. Ah, there we go. And when we see the breadth of the worship over several hundred years, we begin to see some formations happening and we see some things that where we probably should not have gone. <laughs> but we also see ways in which maybe we should go, and maybe for the future, maybe we can look to these things that will help us. We can always begin again, and God's grace in our worship is so profound, and if it comes from authentic hearts, it's accepted, and He sings over us with love, and so we have nothing to worry about. Again, that was George Scramstead. You can find a link to the full version of his recording in the podcast show notes, as well as links to articles George has written on the topic of worship. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare podcast. This work is made possible by donations from people like you. 
You can support this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org slash donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find articles and other resources at our website, renovare.org. This podcast is produced by Brian Morricon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. Other music is by Lee Rosevere. And until next time, be well, friends. Be well. <laughs>